Good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church Chattahoochee. Um, <clears throat> as I listened to the reading of the word there, I was reminded um, this week in my study that my father often used to tell me as a uh, boy growing up that <clears throat> when I was hungry, I would, I would just pile food on my plate. And naturally, I would not eat it all. And he would say, your eyes are bigger than your stomach. When I prepared to, to teach this beginning chapter in Genesis, my eyes were bigger than my stomach. Uh, I realized as I got further into the text that there are literally just volumes and volumes and volumes written about the book of Genesis. And that means there is just almost an unending amount that a, that a pastor could say almost just about the very first verse, not to mention all that was just read. And so I'm going to uh, abbreviate. I'm going to mostly focus on the first verse because I think that in starting in Genesis, there is so much to unpack in one simple verse. And so I realize that I am in great need of the Holy Spirit. And so I ask you to join with me now that God's Spirit would not just use me, but he would speak to you, that you would walk away from here wanting to love and know and treasure him more than when you came in. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, there is so much here, and we need your Holy Spirit to speak into our hearts and lives and minds that we would be able to even begin to grasp the profoundness of what we have just heard read in your word. And so, by the power of your Holy Spirit, come now, be with us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Look with me again at just that very first verse in your Bible. That very first verse says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Someone has said those are the most profound words ever penned by a human being. And a famous philosopher named Schopenhauer was once sitting on a park bench and he was dressed, a British, dressed rather shabby. A policeman came up to him sitting on the bench and he said, who are you? And he said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. You see, Genesis tells us about who God is. Genesis tells us about who we are, how we got here, where we came from, where this massive universe 
started and came from. It tells us the beginning of time, the beginning of man, the beginning of the universe. And it also tells us the beginning of sin and the beginning of evil, but yet the beginning of salvation. Genesis is unlike any other book in the Bible. Genesis begins to help us unfold the entire book of the Bible. And the Bible is also referred to as progressive revelation. In other words, the revelation of God to man, uh, God to man begins in Genesis and it progressively reveals more and more and more and more of who he is as we go through scripture. But what that means is in the book of Genesis, we get in seed form the beginnings of almost every major doctrine of the Bible. And as we go through these first 11 chapters, you're going to see some of those seeds and how those seeds grow through the progressive revelation of the other 65 books will become more and more clear to us. So it's critical, and this is why I chose Genesis. I think it's critical that a Christian that is serious about their faith understands the book of Genesis. It's a very important book. It's, it's the starting place. Genesis is also translated in the beginning. In the beginning, there is this book we call Genesis, and the major theme of this book, just to kind of give you a little bit of an overview, is it is the creation of all the universe. It's the creation of man, but then it tells us, and it, and it explains for us why we are where we are in the world. Because it explains that sin entered the world and that through original sin, contrary to popular belief, none of us are born good. But the, we are all born with a sin nature that separates us from God. And the truth is what the scripture reveals, whether we want to believe it or not, is that every single one of us is a rebel towards a holy God from that point forward. Sin has corrupted us. It's almost as if you drank a small bottle of poison and it goes through your body and corrupts you at every level. And so my whole experience in this life is being interpreted by the very beginnings of the book of the Bible through Genesis what we see. Traditionally, Moses is credited as being the author of this book of Genesis. Genesis itself never tells us this, but the Bible seems to attribute the entire first five books called the Pentateuch to Moses. And the very first book is Genesis. Look with me, if you would, in your Bibles at Luke. And, and I do this sometimes because I want you to know your Bibles, but I also know that when you get somebody up in front of you and they speak for a while, and if you had a long night, you might just begin to doze off. But if you have to look at Luke, it'll, uh, it might help you come back around. Luke 24, 
25 through 27. This is what it says. Luke 24, 25 through 27. It's Jesus speaking. He says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then, this is where I wanted you to see. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. So Jesus says, it begins with Moses, and therefore I'll begin with Moses, and I'll teach you what Moses has written, because that's where the word of God begins. So, Jesus himself is saying it began with Moses. But lest that not be enough, in the Old Testament, in Exodus 17, 14, we see also where God is saying this. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it to the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. So God is telling Moses to write things down, to keep a history. You know why he's doing that, don't you? So that we have later the inspired written word of God. Same thing happens in Numbers 33 too. He says, Moses wrote down their starting places stage by stage by the command of the Lord. And these are the stages according to their starting places. So Moses is being commanded and we see Moses recording. And so we have Moses as the author of Exodus and, uh, but it's interesting, and this is where I, what I want you to think about with me for a moment. When did Moses actually come on the scene? When you think about your Bible, you know, Genesis 1-1, God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. Well, Moses was there, of course, right? So he knew he could just write it down, right? that, that, okay, that he created it. no. Moses was not there in the beginning. And so right out of the gate, we have to solve, if we're a thinking person, this issue of how did Moses actually know what to write? Now, theologians say there were obviously oral traditions. There were plenty of oral traditions circulating at the time of Moses. But if we know the story of Moses... We also know that God allowed him through the killing of the babies. His mother puts him in a basket, floats him down a river, and then who else picks him up but the sister of the king, and she brings him into her home, and Moses gets one of the finest educations of his day. That's not a coincidence that Moses would have gotten that. But then, could it be that there were also various documents circulating at the time? But here's the real rub, isn't it, if you're a thinking person? No one could have known the story from Genesis 1-1. Nobody on the planet knew how God did this. And so what 
happened. Undoubtedly, God supernaturally used Moses to reveal these truths, to write these truths down. And we see in 2 Peter 1.21, look at, look at 2 Peter 1.21. That's a very interesting verse when you're beginning to talk about, is the word of God inspired? Is the word of God authoritative? Is it from God himself? And this is what 2 Peter 1.21 says. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Moses wrote from God as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's problematic, and we're going to get into that. Not for all of us, but for some of us. But I believe, and my conviction is, that God spoke to Moses and he told him what to write. And he wrote the inspired word of God for us. Now, that kind of concludes a brief overview of Genesis. Let's look again at this first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It seems to be, if in first reading, one simple sentence. You know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. However, the sentence really only seems simple. I mean, just that sentence, there are volumes written about what that sentence means and what its implications are. How did God create? You know, Prior to that moment, there was nothing. The earth was formless and void. There's a Latin word that also says the same thing, ex nihilo, formless and void. There was nothing. God didn't make the universe from pre-existing building blocks. God, being God, and only him could do this, he created from nothing. The Bible never expressly states that God made everything from nothing, but it's implied all through the scriptures. Hebrews 11.3 is a great example of that. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. How do we understand that? By faith. By faith. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. What is seen are not made out of things that are visible. By faith, and, and the amazing thing is that God just spoke the universe into existence. Scholars take this to mean that the universe came into existence by a divine command from God. He just spoke. There was nothing, and then there was a universe. That's our God. How amazing is that? Humans, you know, we can be creative. Matter of fact, my youngest daughter, 
She's got some paintings that, you know, as a parent, well, when they were small kids, you put anything on the fridge. Uh, You know, it's like, oh, what's that? Yeah, that's going on the fridge, whatever that is. But my youngest daughter is quite, quite an artist. And she's studying graphic design at Georgia Tech. And she has, she has drawn some things and painted some things that now, quite frankly, as an adult, I go, that's really good, you know? But strictly speaking, we cannot create. Human beings, you, and you're going, oh, no, we can create. Not really. We can only synthesize. We can only take where there is something like a pen and a piece of paper, and we can put something together. Our God created out of nothing. He spoke and he flung the stars into existence. He spoke and the earth came. He spoke and he created man. It's astonishing. God is not constrained. It's difficult. This is difficult for us to comprehend because... You know, those of us that are scientists, and and I do not claim to be, but um, you might have studied at least in uh, a science class the laws of physics. The first law states that matter cannot be created or destroyed. Matter can be converted from a solid to a liquid to a gas to plasma and then back again. Atoms can be combined into molecules and they can be split into component parts, but matter cannot be created from nothing and matter also cannot be completely destroyed. Well, that's problematic because he created from nothing. And so this idea that God created everything from nothing I will say, is at least not natural to a human being. But it is supernatural. It's a supernatural thing. Man has a hard time believing that something is supernatural, that there's anything that is supernatural because we live in a natural world. And supernatural, by definition, means it's attributed to some force beyond scientific understanding of laws in nature. We're not comfortable with that. As I was studying this week, I'm fully aware that I'm not a scientist, and I also know that there are some scientists in our congregation. And so I said, Lord, how do I talk about something that seems so scientific when I'm not a scientist? And I think the answer, obviously, well, maybe not obvious to you, but I don't hear verbally from God. But in my spirit, I sensed him saying, son, I didn't tell the world how I did it on purpose. I did not tell them in Genesis, and this is exactly how I did it. I just told them that I did it. And I think the reason he just told us that he did it was because there is this thing that he is after in us called faith. And it is enough, and I'll show you in a moment, 
to see the universe and to see our world and to believe that indeed he did do it. How he did it, I'm going to talk more about that next week, but the truth is I don't know. And I'll tell you this, you don't either. (laughs) He's God, we're not. So, God does tell us in Genesis' account that he created all things. He certainly could have told us how he did it, but he has not chosen to do so. And so, therefore, I think what has happened among those who are not followers of Christ is we have created theories. Probably the most well-known is Charles Darwin and the theory of evolution. I personally do not subscribe to that, do not believe that that's how God did it. Um, I believe first God did it, and then I also believe that there's enough holes in the theory of evolution that I don't believe that that's how he did it. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. But in our text, there is no single word to describe the universe. There's, in the Hebrew language, there's no word for universe. And so the way the verse reads is he created the heavens and the earth. And so when uh, a Hebrew back then would write like the story in Melchizedek where he blessed Abram, he said, in the name of the sovereign God of the universe, blessed be Abram, God, most high possessor of heaven and earth. They would say of heaven and earth. And that meant universe, possessor of the universe. God created all of it, heaven and earth, the universe. And so God ordered the universe. Here's a question that you may be asking. Did he use the big bang? to create the universe. Now, I bet you there's probably at least a a split of opinions here on, and and it's also probably like, all right, you're gonna step in it now, aren't you, Clint? Uh, I will say this. I consulted one of our scientists and asked him about the Big Bang, and he tells me You know, quite frankly, it's almost a good Christian response because it's almost something out of nothing. And then this world is expanding like the Big Bang would say. And so this Christian scientist that I know told me, I wouldn't rule that out. That may be how God did it. Very well could be. But I know this that if that is how God did it, look with me at Genesis 1.14. So in our our text that we read, in Genesis 1.14, look at what it says. It says, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. 
It doesn't take much to realize what that saying is. God created these lights for us that we would have light, that we would have seasons, that we would have days, that we would have years. And so here's where I'm going. If, and it's a big if, God used the Big Bang to do what he did to create the universe, I would also say that in every step along the way, he was providentially guiding stars and planets and atoms and molecular structures to get to a place that the earth, which is a finely, I mean, finely tuned planet, would be able to host human beings. And so whether you believe the Big Bang or you disbelieve the Big Bang, either way, I would say the God of the universe had to providentially be guiding and directing the whole way. So it doesn't take away from anything. God created. How he did it, we truly don't know. But I want you to hear this. And some of us aren't scientists, including me. And some of this, maybe you're just going to phase out. But I'm going to share with you about five or six reasons why the earth can't just be here haphazardly. And this is from scientists. And what I'm saying is the universe is finely tuned for life on earth. Finely tuned. Listen to this. Now, the very first word, some of you are going to go, I don't know what you're talking about. Just hang in there. I think you might get it. The electromagnetic coupling constantly binds electrons to protons in atoms. In other words, without this electromagnetic coupling, atoms and molecules would just fall apart. If it were smaller, fewer electrons could be held. If it were larger, electrons would be held too tightly to bond with each other and the universe and the molecules in the universe would begin to fall apart. Carbon, this is another, another point, carbon and oxygen nuclei have finely tuned energy levels that allows for us to breathe oxygen. Finely tuned Electromagnetic and gravitational forces are finely tuned so that the right kind of star that we have in our universe can be stable to provide for us all that we need. Here's another interesting tidbit. Our sun is just the right color. If it was more red or if it was more blue, Photosynthesis could not happen. If photosynthesis could not happen, we cannot exist on the planet. Our sun is also just the perfect mass. If it were larger, its brightness would burn us up and consume us. If it were smaller, our planet would be locked in ice. Here's another one. The Earth's distance from the sun is crucial to our water cycle. Too far away, every bit of the water freezes. Too close, the water boils. 
You see what I'm saying is when God created the world, he finely tuned this one planet to host his prized creation. God created the earth, moon, and stars. There are holes in the evolutionary theory that you'll never hear about on TV that are big enough, I would say, not just to drive a truck through, but to drive all of creation through. There are major problems. And here are the three biggest problems with the evolutionary theory. They have no answer for the origin of matter. You can go talk to any scientist you want. There's not an answer for the origin of matter. They have no answer for the origin of energy. And there is no answer for the origin of life. Uh, they built a whole, wrote a whole book in a great movie, Frankenstein. The whole thing is they're trying to create life in, and they can't. And they've been trying to create life, man has, and we can't. And so, it is interesting. Next week we're going to talk about the days and what the days mean. And quite frankly, I'll tell you next week, the different theories about is the earth billions of years old or is it a young earth? And I just throw this out there as a teaser to next week. You know, it says in the scriptures that God created Adam. What if three seconds after God created Adam, you saw him? Here's what you would conclude. He looks like he's 30 years old. Three seconds after he was created, 30 years old. Could God have created the earth with age, just like he did with Adam and Eve? Could, could have. We'll talk more next week about the different theories as it relates to that. So why do I believe when, when so many around me, including my own father and people in my family, don't believe what we read in the very first verse? In the beginning, God created. Why do I believe that? Why should you believe that? God's word gives us plenty of reasons to believe it. It explains a complete worldview, a complete way of seeing the world that is consistent with everything I've experienced in my life. For example, God's word teaches us we will struggle with sin. Which, which one of us doesn't struggle with sin? God's word says we will struggle with sin even as followers of him. That will be part of our story. God's word tells us he loves us and he sent a savior who was a servant to do all that the father had asked him to do. The savior is completely, the Lord Jesus is completely other than any earthly king who if you gave him the kind of power that Jesus had, he would have used it to suppress and oppress the weaker subjects. But what did he do? He came and he served and he gave and he died. You see, also, 
You know, I think if, uh, if man had written the story that we have about our king, man would have come down and I'm sure he would have not mixed it up with the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes. He didn't, this savior of ours, he didn't hang out at the Jerusalem Country Club with the fat cats talking about his handicap. He came and he went after the poor and he went after the lowly and he went after those who knew that they needed a savior. He sacrificed, he served, he gave himself for sinners. That's not the way the world would write a story about a king. And that's why it rings true. God has given us his word and his nature. And now I want to show you why I think people cannot believe Genesis 1. Look with me at Romans 1. Why can they not believe it? I think the scriptures are actually very clear about it. Why aren't more people sitting in churches across our country this morning? This interprets my experience. Romans 1, we're going to start in verse 18. And listen to what the Word of God says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness, listen to what this says, they suppress the truth. For what can be known about God, in other words, there is a lot that can be known about God, is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. He's talking about non-believers, not Christians. He's saying what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Well, how did God show it to them? It says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Ever since the creation of the world, God's eternal power and divine nature and creation itself is speaking, there is a God. And he says, in the things that have been made, we can look at the things that have been made and know that there's a God. It's not hard for me, even in this very moment, to look down at this little cooing baby who her sweet mother is trying her best to keep her and just know that's not an accident. Something supernatural works in the reproductive system. Think about it. She didn't necessarily, while that baby was in the womb, be telling her body, okay, now you need to send some food down there because the baby's getting hungry or she didn't tell her body. The body just did it. The body created this little wonderful little baby. We have so little to do with any of that. 
There's a wonderful creator who is behind all of this. And God is saying, just look around. You can see that it can't be an accident. It just can't be. And so let's look further. Look at verse 21. For although, and this is so key, although they knew God. What is this saying, y'all? Although they knew God, it's saying that even the non-believer, they, they know God. They, they won't tell you they know God. They won't tell you that they think it's real. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So verse 18, let's just talk about it for just a second. Verse 18 says, we, were, we suppress the truth for a lie. Verse 19 says, God <clears throat> can be known to us because he's revealed himself ever since the creation of the world through the things that he's made. Verse 20 says that we are without excuse for they know God but do not honor him or give thanks. And because of that, their hearts and minds are darkened. In verse 22 it says, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God for images. And then in verse 24 it says, God gives them up to their lust because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and served the creation rather than the creator. In college, I had several professors that would teach me the evolutionary theory in my biology classes. And sometimes I would just wonder, how do they, how do they really believe that? I mean, I, I, at least at that point, had begun looking into it enough to think, it's, that's not fact, that's a theory. And how are they so convinced of this? And I think what I walked away with is Romans 1, 18. They are suppressing the truth of God for a lie so that they do not have to answer to the creator of the universe. It is much easier to say there is no God and come up with another theory and live any way you want. But when you say there is a God, then you must worship and follow. And so it is easier to just not do that. The scriptures help us understand the world we live in better than anything I have ever experienced in my entire life. And I want to say this. This verse primarily is talking about non-believers. And if you were to go home and read further Romans 1, 26 through 32, frankly, it gets into uh, when we suppress the truth, what happens to us ultimately. And it describes the culture that we live in today. And if you go and read it, 
you'll know what I'm talking about. The issue is, will we believe in our hearts that He is the Creator, that He created? And my heart, not just these people in Romans, my heart wanders. Not only does it wander, but sometimes it even wonders. Like, is this really, is this really how it happened? Or are the scientists correct that tell me of the alternative views? And it comes back to trust and faith ultimately. But God has given me so many rungs to hang my faith on. Just the way he has delivered, the way he has given, the way he has been kind, the way he has been good, that over and over and over again, my experience says, yes, it is true. Yes, he is good. And yes, he is the creator. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Oh God, you did create. And we confess it as true. Amen.